I'm Greg, and you're listening to Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Have you ever tried smoking? Yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Young, uh, teenager, kid. Yeah. Have you? Yes. Yeah, I was 14, and my mother caught me. Why I tried to do it in our bathroom, I have to <laughs> so I wanted to see my coolness. So I was looking. In oh, the were you looking in the mirror? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And before selfies, it was just looking in the mirror. That's right. How cool you were. You no, know, and I, I, I possibly could have done it without lighting it, but you know, I had no idea how to light because I saw it on TV and thought this is all you do. Yeah. I flip the lighter and ta-da. Ta-da, but was not the best choice in my life yeah no short-lived i had asthma when i was younger and no it was not fun oh. smelly not good for breathing i got caught by my mother so that's why it wasn't cool for me and that was not nice <laughs> she was she put an end to that right away very quickly very quickly so that yep. was that was the end i do recall though um i don't even know maybe like 15 15 16 years ago Maybe not even that long ago. I can't even remember. But I remember going out to dinner with a group of friends. And one of the first friends I saw pull out the the, the vape pen. And when you inhaled, the, the tip turned blue. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> what is that? And just listening to his explanation. Yeah, it's just water. Like wow, that's so is, cool. That is that, that is like genius. It's like like well, I can't believe that this is there. And it's like I still get the feeling of blowing out smoke because I can blow out the, the the steam, but yeah, it's just water. Knowing now, if I had known back then, I'm like, yeah. And sold a bill of goods, huh? <laughs> Jokes on you. Right. That is not true, but I, I'll never forget that day wow, that is cool. That's so, so ingenious. What an idea. Uh, no. I say no. that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say nothing that makes us cool is probably good for us, no, right? No. <laughs> We're learning that more, more and more. Or nothing we, th- we think makes us cool. You know, if it's not health, it's the kids telling you it's not cool. So right. <laughs> one or the other, you're finding out we're not as cool as we thought we were. But today on our on our program, we have the Department of Health um, from a tobacco and nicotine department. So this whole team, good, the whole team. Nice. So this is is going to be a good one. There's a lot of questions I have about it, especially about the, um, you know, the effects of nicotine and tobacco differences between nicotine and tobacco as well. Yeah. I'm curious about prevention. Obviously we're in prevention and Mm -hmm. um, if they have any um, good tips. Yeah. It's going to be another group. Yep. All right. Without further ado, and today with us, we have Kirsten Skelly, the Tobacco Control Program Manager. We have Julia Doherty, Nicotine Substance Use and Addiction Treatment Coordinator, and Jillian Angel, Youth and Young Adult Coordinator, joining us on our Totally Preventable Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for for being our guest today. Thank you for having us. Greg, I want to add that this team is from the Department of Health. You know what? That should have been said. <laughs> should have been said. That's okay. We're saying it now. <laughs> oh, wow. So let, let's get right into this. Um, 
So, so Kirsten, what is the role of a program manager? So, um, well, before we begin, I just want to just briefly um, clarify that the use of tobacco in the discussion today and also within our program um, is going to refer to commercial tobacco, which is manufactured by companies for recreational and habitual use and is different from the sacred traditional ceremonial used by Native American tribal communities. Um, it's a distinction we like to make um, within the tobacco control um, program and industry. So, um, but back to your question. So the, for my role, um, I pretty much oversee the tobacco control program, um, mainly to make sure that we're effectively addressing the public health needs of Rhode Islanders and that we keep within um, the set goals and parameters of our funding. Um, so we are mostly funded by grants, uh, a grant by the CDC and the Office of Smoking and Health um, with some state funding. Um, and to give kind of an overview of the program itself, um, we have six full-time staff, which Julia and Jillian and myself um, are part of that. And in addition, we do have a policy and partnership specialist, an evaluator, and a communications coordinator. So I um, supervise them as well. Um, and the program in general is to, um, our mission, I should say, is to protect and promote health, to prevent chronic disease and um, death among all Rhode, Island, Rhode Islanders using a comprehensive approach to reduce tobacco initi initiate, initiation, use and exposure to secondhand and thirdhand smoke. And then essentially that means we're pretty much here to work within the communities and with community partners. Um, and even though our name says tobacco control, we're mainly for education and information um, for the general public, um, including youth, um, retailers, um, those that make decisions in our communities. Um, and we, we like to look to educate and inform on the harmful effects of tobacco and what current regulations are in, currently in place. Um, in addition, we do provide support, um, education, and resources for those who are trying to quit, um, which is an area that Julia um, oversees, um, which I'll let her discuss more on her. And I, I want to thank you for that clarification and that like precursor. That's the first time, no matter who I've talked to in prevention, that's the first time that clarification has ever been made. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to know what third hand smoke is. Uh, that's typically the smoke that is residual on like property, um, like after uh, oh. if, if someone has been smoking in an area, um, and it does have some um, health effects on those that come into those um, areas that the the residue would be on would be at. Yep, well, makes sense. Never heard of that. No, yeah. makes sense though. Yep, perfect. Um. So Julia, could you tell us what your role at DOH is as a substance use and addiction treatment coordinator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this role oversees the state nicotine helpline. So that's 1-800-QUIT-NOW um, and also promotes kind of systems level changes and efforts to make sure that there is accessible and integrated tobacco treatment systems um, throughout the state. So the position was previously called just the cessation manager um, and it was changed to this new title, which is the nicotine substance use and addiction treatment coordinator to highlight the need to integrate tobacco and nicotine treatment into other substance use and behavioral health services. Um, additionally, cessation really just means to stop and we wanna be focused more holistically on the treatment and recovery from nicotine. Um, and so it's a, definitely a mouthful, it's a long title, um, but we wanted to bring more focus um, to the idea of tobacco-free recovery and overall wellness. Oh, 
it's a, a great outlook. And, and Jillian, what is your role as a youth and young adults coordinator? Sure. Uh, the Youth and Young Adults Coordinator supports and implements programs and policies that encourage and support youth and young adults to make behavior choices consistent with tobacco-free norms through collaboration and partnership with state agencies, healthcare systems, and community organizations. Uh, my role also includes that I conduct education outreach to prevent initiation of commercial tobacco and nicotine products, as well as inform on evidence-based strategies to engage youth and young adults while reducing health disparities throughout the state of Rhode Island. Um, additionally, I support Julia by promoting the youth version of the Rhode Island Nicotine Helpline, which is called the My Life, My Quit program. And I will elaborate further on the program details a little later. Can you give me just one quick example of what um, education outreach looks like in your role? Sure. Um, education outreach. Uh, so, for example, which I plan to talk a little bit more about a little later, um, we have a youth group through uh, one of our community partners, Tobacco Free Rhode Island. Uh, the youth group is called the Youth Ambassadors. Um, and we basically train and educate these youth to go out and uh, train other youth um, and also to advocate. Oh, it's awesome. Peer to peer. That's really, really beneficial today. If I'm wrong, we can totally cut it out. But um, do you have something to do with the um, zombie walk? That was my predecessor. Um, so uh, the person who was in my role previously, or um, I shouldn't say my role because my role is new to the tobacco control program, um, but the role that worked with youth prior to me coming aboard. Um, she organized that entire zombie walk and like really she did a great job. It was a lot of work, but that was all her. Yeah, we participated with some youth a couple times. So I got zombified once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much zombified every morning. <laughs> De-zombified. Okay, so I guess we're going to go to some basics and find out what is considered a tobacco product. Um, so this is, I mean, it's a pretty um, full list of what it is, um, what kind of falls under tobacco product, um, and it's pretty extensive. But if you go by the Tobacco Control Act, um, it was passed by Congress, it defines a tobacco product um, as any product made or derived from tobacco and intended for human consumption. And this includes any component, part, or accessory of the tobacco product, um, whether it's smoked, heated, chewed, absorbed, dissolved, inhaled, ingested, um, or by any other means. Um, and it includes, but um, is definitely not limited to cigarettes, cigars, pipe tobacco, hookah, chewing or dipping tobacco, um, snuff, bitties, blunts, clove cigarettes, um, or any other um, preparation of tobacco, and any product containing nicotine that is manufactured, sold, offered for sale, or otherwise distributed um, with the expectation that the product will be um, introduced into the human body. Um, the tobacco product also encompasses components or accessories used for the consumption, um, such as filters, rolling papers, pipes, charging devices and cartridges, whether or not that um, they contain nicotine or not. And most importantly, um, what we've seen as uh, prevalence of use in the most recent years was um, 
what they call electronic nicotine delivery systems or ENDS for short. And ENDS simulate smoking and the delivery of nicotine or other substances um, by inhaling from the device. And it includes, and, um, includes but not limited also to vapes. I'm sure we've heard of that. Electronic mm -hmm. e-cigarettes or e-cigs, um, electronic cigars or cigarellos electronic pipes, electronic hookahs, um, products that they say are heat, not burn products, e-liquids, e-liquid products like cartridges or any other related component. Um, and just to clarify, when we say tobacco products, we do not include products that were specifically approved by the FDA for use in treating nicotine or tobacco um, dependence. And so that's a big clarification because um, there are some products that are specifically used for the treatment, but um, they are not considered tobacco products. Uh, but per federal and state law, just to, on the education side of things, in Rhode Island, retailers cannot sell tobacco products to anyone under 21. Wow, you're taking me down memory lane. <laughs> I didn't even think that snuff was still available. I remember as a young I, I can't even remember how old I was, but don't forget your kids listen to this. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> I remember my my grandmother's best friend. We used to yell out the window whenever uh, my grandmother was going to the store. You don't forget to give me my snuff, and I was like, "What on earth is snuff?" <laughs> and she used to come with some little cylinder. I never yep. knew what it was, but I, I didn't even think that was still around. But yeah, it's yeah. still around and available. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, Kirsten, can you tell us um, how how do commercial tobacco and, and nicotine differ? So, I mean, nicotine falls under tobacco. Um, tobacco is the plant that's grown for its leaves, which is then smoked or chewed or sniffed. Um, nicotine is the drug in tobacco that causes addiction. So it's the chemical within it. And it's found within commercial tobacco products and even products that label tobacco-free. Um, tobacco-free or tobacco-leaf-free products, um, or I should say nicotine, um, that's a term that's used to describe products that contain nicotine that's either created in a lab, synthetic nicotine, or extracted from tobacco, but doesn't actually contain the tobacco leaf in the product. Um, but irregardless of the source, the addictive effects of nicotine is still harmful. harmful. Um, and it's really the, the nicotine um, that is more of the, that causes the addiction. Um, in addition to it though, within the tobacco products, um, it's good to point out that there's also hundreds of other compounds that are added to commercial tobacco um, that can enhance its flavor and the absorption of the nicotine. So while nicotine is the primary reinforcing component of commercial to, uh, tobacco and drives that addiction, the addictive um, compounds to commercial products can also have negative, um, I mean, the additive compounds to these products can also have negative health effects. Um, for example, some chemicals found are formaldehyde, um, acrolein, and acetaldehyde. Um, and these are found in e-cigs um, and cigarette smokes um, and can cause irreversible lung damage. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So there's a lot to consider under that. Yeah, yeah, yikes. Yeah. It's scary to think of some, some things that we are willing to put into our body without mm -hmm. knowing all of the... the and the it is, I mean, I think a lot of people are under the um, assumption, especially with vapes, that it's a water vapor, but there's more to it than just 
it's not a water vapor. There's definitely chemical compounds in there that are um, obviously harmful. Yeah, I know people that have been using vapes to quit for like 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, <laughs> clearly this is an organ. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, that there should be like a, a quick, you know, I know it takes time, but yeah. 30 years might be a little too long. I think a lot of people just don't think of nicotine as a drug. Mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. that they feel like Oh, and that's why, I mean, that's one reason why uh, Julia had to her name, um, the substance use aspect mm -hmm. of it, because it is, it is an addiction and it is, um, requires a behavioral change um, as well. So it should be treated as such versus um, just a, you know, a product that people want to use on and off. Right. Absolutely. Um, Julia. Can you tell us how long it takes for a commercial tobacco or nicotine to start negatively affecting the body? Yeah, it's a big question because um, smoking um, really harms pretty much every organ of our body. Um, and cigarette smoking is the currently the leading cause still of preventable death in the United States. Mm. Um, but the harms are totally preventable if we can help stop initiation and support recovery. Um, so some immediate effects you were talking about thinking of nicotine, you know, um, as, as a substance. So the immediate effects of smoking nicotine or vaping nicotine, however, you're accessing the nicotine, um, is that immediately after exposure to the nicotine, there can be a kick, um, that's caused in part by nicotine stimulation of our adrenal glands. So there's a release of adrenaline and this rush kind of stimulates the body and causes an increase in blood pressure, respiration, heart rate. And like other drugs, nicotine activates a reward pathway in the brain. So this pathway is going to regulate our feelings of pleasure. And over time, it can lead to nicotine dependency and addiction. So repeated use can lead to changes in our brain circuits that are involved in learning and stress regulation and self-control. So the more someone smokes or vapes, the more nicotine over time they're going to need to feel to feel good. So it can quickly become a part of a daily routine and gets intertwined with habits and feelings and emotional regulations that kind of hijacks our reward pathway and thinks that we need it um, to survive. So those are kind of more um, nicotine pathways. And then additionally, longer term, um, smoking can cause cancer, heart disease, stroke, lung disease, diabetes, um, pulmonary disease. So like I said, really all the um, organs in our body and can also increase risk for things like tuberculosis, certain eye diseases, can cause problems with the immune system, um, tooth loss and gum problems and increased complications for you know managing chronic diseases like diabetes. So um, can also make it harder for some women to become pregnant. Um, and can affect a baby's health before and after birth. Um, I do want to say, however, that quitting tobacco is one of the most important actions that someone can take to improve their health. And that's true regardless of age or how long they've been smoking. So even like you said, if you have a friend who's been vaping for 30 years, it's never too late to try to quit um, because there are impacts 20 minutes after quitting. Your heart rate and your blood pressure can start to lower 
few days later, your carbon monoxide level in your blood can start to drop back to normal levels. Two weeks to three months, your circulation can improve and your lung function can improve. One to two years after quitting, your risk of heart attack drops. So um, we do want to prevent initiation, but there's also a lot of benefit when to quitting um, at any time. Um, and you can even reverse some of the effects um, on the brain after long-term abstinence. So something we really, really want to encourage folks to try. I want to say it must have been, I think it must have been 24 years ago and I was in the doctor's office um, pregnant with my first child and they had a poster up about um, how how quitting um, the time frame of what changes happen in your body when you quit. Um, and it, I think it was like a graph. So it started with, you know, day one, what, what changes are going on, mm-hmm. how your body is getting better. And I still remember that, that poster to this day. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that that's a good model. <laughs> it is wild hearing, you know, the, the, euphor- the euphoria and then the, um, you know, how it sparks that you need more and more to get that, that same feeling. I, I, have never until today heard that about cigarettes and nicotine. I've always heard it about like marijuana, for instance, or other drugs, but it goes hand in hand along with, you know, nicotine being, being mentioned more along the lines of drugs than just, you know, part of a cigarette. But in that same realm, how, how does a person know if they're addicted to nicotine? Yeah, that's a great question. So Overall, the idea of addiction or substance use disorder is characterized by that continued substance use. So in this case, nicotine, even in the face of negative health or social consequences. So there's really no level of nicotine or tobacco use that's considered safe. Um, And there are varying levels of dependence. So there are different, you know, valid tools that a medical provider can use to help assess someone's level of dependence, no matter what type of tobacco product they use. But this is something someone's wondering for themselves. A few things to kind of consider when you're thinking about use is, do you experience strong cravings and desire for the product? Do you find it hard not to smoke or vape or use nicotine in the places where you're not supposed to? So sneaking it on a school bus, school, the movies. Um, Do you use the product even on days when you're sick in bed? Do you feel like you need it? Um, Have you started using the product in larger amounts or um, more than kind of like you originally intended to? Are you increasing your tolerance over time? Have you tried to quit, wanted to quit, and then kind of, or cut down and found that you couldn't, or felt that you couldn't, and it was really hard? Um, Or um, when you haven't had it in a little while, are you finding it difficult to concentrate or finding yourself irritable or anxious? So um, those are all things that you can kind of start to consider to to think about, maybe if you're developing um, a dependency on nicotine. And um, if someone thinks they might be, it's you should really talk to their doctor or provider about a tobacco recovery programs um, for information and support um, because quitting smoking and vaping is hard, but help is available and it's definitely possible. And there's a lot of resources in our state like the 1-800-QUIT-NOW um, to help someone think about quitting um, tobacco and nicotine. Are there withdrawals when, when quitting smoking? 
or the possibility? Yeah, there can be. So everyone's um, experiences um, with quitting are going to be different, um, but there can be some side effects. So especially if someone has developed that nicotine dependence, when they try to stop, they can experience some temporary unpleasant mental and physical changes that we would call nicotine withdrawal. So symptoms can include things like the cravings, anger, frustration, or irritability, difficulty concentrating, sometimes insomnia, restlessness, or anxiety. Sometimes people feel like some depression, um, and some people feel increased appetite. Um, so those withdrawal symptoms would typically begin um, within 24 hours of stopping or reducing your use, um, but they do subside over time. They're usually the worst the first week or so after quitting. And from that point on, the intensity of symptoms usually drops um, over time. And like I said, everyone is different. Symptoms, intensity, timing vary. And there are different, very effective treatments available to reduce and manage these withdrawal symptoms. So you don't have to do it cold turkey. You can talk to your doctor um, about, about finding help and the best option. There's seven different um, FDA-approved medications or approaches for helping kind of curb those withdrawal symptoms and helping someone quit. Thank you. Um, Jillian. Could you tell us um, about how um, these products affect other people? Absolutely. Uh, secondhand smoke exposure is harmful to adults, children, pets, and the environment. Um, smoke from burning commercial tobacco products or smoke that has been exhaled by a person smoking commercial tobacco products is called secondhand smoke. Uh, there are more than 7,000 chemicals in commercial tobacco smoke, including hundreds that are toxic and about 70 that can cause cancer. To name a few of these chemicals, there is benzene, which is found in gasoline, butane found in lighter fluid, ammonia used in household cleaners, toluene used in paint thinners, uh, cadmium is used in making batteries, and personal favorite, hydrogen cyanide, which is used in chemical weapons. Hmm. E-cigarettes also contain harm, uh, harmful chemicals that are emitted through the exhaled aerosol, which uh, Kirsten alluded to earlier. Um, they includes metals such as lead, nickel, and tin. Um, secondhand smoke can cause heart disease, lung cancer, and stroke. Infants and young children are especially vulnerable to secondhand smoke exposure. Babies exposed to secondhand smoke are more likely to die unexpectedly from sudden infant death syndrome and can grow up with lungs that are weaker than those of babies that are not exposed. Um, children exposed to secondhand smoke are sick more often with illnesses such as bronchitis, pneumonia, and ear infections. Since 1964, about 2,500,000 people who did not smoke died from health problems caused by secondhand smoke exposure. Secondhand smoke ex can, uh, containing all of these chemicals lingers in the air and is inhaled by our pets too. Uh, dogs and cats are made additionally vulnerable by exposure to third-hand smoke, um, which we mentioned earlier, um, which is the residue left behind by the harmful lingering chemicals of secondhand smoke. Third-hand smoke gets trapped and concentrated within carpets and rugs and even dust. Um, pets can also ingest these concentrated chemicals by licking their owner's skin, hair, or clothing. Um, cigarettes as well as e-cigarettes are harmful to wildlife and the environment. Compounds from cigarette butts seep into water and soil, poisoning the habitats of wildlife and plants. So really, 
affects everything and everyone. Yes, it does. Jeez. We were just talking about there's um there's a person in our parking lot who leaves their car doors open every day. Yeah. And we've been trying to figure out like little office mystery why. And we were wondering if they smoke and they're trying to air out their car. But I would say that is a um horrible place for everything to get stuck, like because it's so confined that the third hand effects must be um tremendous inside a car. Mm. And that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jillian, what is the impact of flavored tobacco in, in nicotine products? Uh, great question. So flavorings in tobacco products can make them more appealing to youth. Flavored tobacco and nicotine products are frequently marketed towards youth as they are packaged with bright eye-catching colors that often resemble candy wrappers. Uh, in 2021, nationally, 80.2% of high school students and 74.6% of middle school students who used tobacco products in the past 30 days reported using a flavored tobacco product during that time. And 85.8% of high school students and 79.2% of middle school students who used e-cigarettes in the past 30 days reported using a flavored e-cigarette during that time. Historically, menthol cigarettes contribute to tobacco-related health disparities. Menthol is an added flavor to commercial products that creates a cooling sensation in the throat, making the smoke easier to inhale. Um, it interacts with nicotine in the brain to enhance nicotine's addictive effects and makes it more difficult for people to quit smoking. So smoking-related illnesses are the number one cause of death in the African-American community, surpassing all other causes According to the Center for Black Health and Equity, 85% of African-Americans who smoke use menthol cigarettes as compared to 30% of their Caucasian counterparts. Um, young people, racial and ethnic minority groups, LGBTQ plus people, women, people with low income and people with mental health conditions also are more likely to smoke menthol cigarettes than other population groups. This isn't surprising considering the documentation of tobacco industry's aggressive targeted advertising to people of these communities, which include offer discounts on flavored products such as menthol in these communities or the use of targeted catchphrases such as take pride in your flavor mm -hmm. or the use of um, people in social media influences in their advertisements. The data you just gave us, is that national or is that? Yes. It's national. Thank national. You. Um, Kirsten, do you have current data about the amount of youth that are smoking and um, does that include vaping nicotine? Yes, yeah, so we, um, I, was, I mentioned prior um, with our program, we do have a full-time evaluator within our program, um, mainly for the um, tracking of this data and the surveillance um, of use, not only uh, national, uh, within Rhode Island, but nationally. And it does, um, definitely include vaping of nicotine because of the importance um, that we're seeing within the youth, the prevalence. Um, so each day in the United States, um, about 1600 youth smoke their first cigarette um, with nearly 200 youth starting the smoking habit every day, um, meaning that they've picked it up to continue on with it. Um, in Rhode Island, we see you know similar trends that maintains a high youth, youth use rate. Um, like we see with the national averages, um, with about one in three of high school age youth um, ever trying a cigarette, meaning they've tried, or I should say an e-cigarette, meaning they've at least tried it once. 
and then around 17% indicating that they're current users, meaning that they've used e-cigarettes in the last 30 days. Mm. Um, and then when we look at um, adult use compared to um, the youth use, we do actually see in Rhode Island and nationally an inverse relationship between um, adult cigarette use and high school cigarette use, and then also between the adults ends use, which is that electronic nicotine delivery system, and the high school ends use. Um, so essentially what we see is that adults are more likely to be the cigarette users, where high school are more likely to be those ends products, which are like the babes e-cigs. Um, and with it, though, we do see that the youth ends products use um, is at a similar level as the adult cigarette use. Um, so obviously the prevalence, um, well, the prevalence for youth is for that more ends use, um, where adults have, while it is becoming more into the adults um, habit to use those, they're still more on the cigarette side. Um, and according to the CDC, the tobacco industry's increased marketing of cigars to targeted groups has increased um, the prevalence of use among youth as well. Um, cigars often have the flavorings and are sold in like a single stick um, offering, which makes them more appealing to youth and easier um, to obtain. Um, in 2021, among uh, nationally, the middle school and high school students who use cigars um, in the past 30 days, about 45% reported using a flavored cigar during that time, with the most popular flavors being fruit, candy, dessert, or sweet, um, which is something that typically is preferred by um, youth and young adults. And cigars were the second most used tobacco product among high school students. Um, wow. In Rhode Island, when we look at the youth um, risk behavior survey um, in 2021, around 3% of high school students um, reported currently using um, cigars, cigarellas, or little cigars. Um, but a concern that we've seen over the years really is that around about six to 10% of high school um, students do report as being current frequent end, ENDS users, which means that they use the ENDS products 20 out of the last 30 days, um, which is showing that more habit forming um, dependence. And another trend is middle schoolers are now reporting similar use levels um, that we see as adults um, in using ENDS products um, with about 20% trying an ENDS product and about 5% being currently using. Um, so even in the middle school age, we are um, seeing exposure to these tobacco products and the factors that may encourage the initiation of use. Now I remember, uh, and I can only divulge this information because I've already talked to it. No big reveal here. At 14, I'll never forget, it was, was the time that I thought that I was going to be the cool one to, to try it. And in my, house, in my household, it was a uh, fear method <laughs> that made me no longer want to try cigarettes. Um, my mother had a very, very strong dislike for it. But um, what are, are some risk factors for the initiation? Yeah, so I mean, with our, our data gathering, we also look at that surveillance and what trends are um, for potential risk factors, because that's um, how we want to get out for education and hopefully prevention. Um, so as a, data, uh, as a data 
does show um, tobacco initiation is, use is to totally preventable and preventing that initial use, especially among the youth is critical in addressing tobacco use in our population. Um, so some risk, risk factors show us that tobacco use is started and established primarily during adolescence with nearly nine out of 10 adults who smoke cigarettes saying that they first tried smoking by age 19 and 99% of them saying that they first tried smoking by age 26. So looking at that, you know, there are definite, definite factors associated with youth um, tobacco use, and they're kind of broken down. The first is within the social and physical environments. So that's the way commercial tobacco use is normalized in mass media, um, that youth are more likely to use products if they see people their age using these products. High school athletes are more likely to use the smokeless tobacco than those that um, report as not being athletes. Young people are more likely to use tobacco products if a parent uses these products. Um, then moving on to like the biological genetic factors, um, there is evidence that youth may be sensitive to nicotine um, than adult, more sensitive, I should say, to nicotine and that youth um, and teens can feel dependent on nicotine sooner than adults. There's genetic factors that may, may make quitting um, harder for youth. There's um, some evidence that smoking during pregnancy may increase the likelihood that the child will smoke cigarettes on a regular basis in the future. Um, then moving on to mental health, um, there's definitely strong relationships between youth smoking and depression, anxiety, and stress. Um, then there's personal views when the young person, um, essentially it's when the young person expects positive things from smoking, such as coping with stress better or losing weight, then they're obviously most likely to use. Um, and finally, we have other influences. Jillian touched on them um, a few, but it's um, influences that can affect tobacco use that includes low socioeconomic status, including lower income and education, the feeling of peer pressure and not knowing how to say no, uh, the lack of support or involvement from parents, accessibility, availability, and price of tobacco products plays a huge um, role in their ability um, are their, their potential to use, uh, low self-esteem or self-image. And then finally, the again, seeing the tobacco products advertised in stores or television, internet, in movies, in magazines, newspapers, um, to them makes it more normalized and easier for them to see it um, as a potential product to use. Are there concerning trends or specific populations um, that are being impacted? Yeah, so we do see both nationally and in Rhode Island, the same sort of trends. Um, and that shows that among you, uh, adults, I should say, when we're speaking specifically among adults, um, individuals with behavioral health conditions have some of the highest rates for smoking. Following our other key disparities, um, and that those exist within um, the low socioeconomic status, individuals with disabilities, and those who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Um, on a side note, those who identify as lesbian, gay, and bisexual are shown to have ENDS use. That's similar to those that report um, being frequent or being in frequent mental distress or have heavy drinking. Um, and finally, we are still seeing disparities of use amongst veterans. And then when we look at the youth disparity side of things, again, Rhode Island trends um, very similar to the national trends that we see adu um, like adults that increased ENDS use 
within youth is reported in those that have um, reported their mood as current mental health, I should say, is not good and have considered attempting suicide in the last 12 months. Um, also increased use is seen within those identify as LGBT. And then um, also we are seeing current ENDS use increase with grade level um, as they move up um, from freshman to senior. Mm -hmm. um, and also increased use with those who grades are mostly C, Ds and Fs. Um, but again, the most concerning trend is what Jillian mentioned previously is regarding the racial disparities and in, um, equities of use, um, particularly when we're um, talking about flavored tobacco and nicotine products. Mm -hmm. You gotta forgive me, but when I see trends, I just think of you know the social media trends and all these kind of trends. But a trend that goes on in in my my family, my overall family, is the the belief that uh, perfume or air fresheners are eliminating the the knowledge of smoking. But I'm pretty sure that doesn't affect like the third hand smoke and anything like that, does it? I mean, there's really no, there's no best way to um, eliminate second or third hand smoke outside of not smoking. It, it probably just makes it worse. It, I know I have members of my family that get headaches and other issues from perfume or yeah. smelly things. So it probably just adds to it. Like, you're not fooling anyone. No, <laughs> we, no. We all know what's going on. And definitely when you're dealing with um, apartment style living or um, living where units or people are close together, um, there's people that have no are not part of that immediate household that are still being affected um, because it does travel. Yes. It does. I can be places um, outside and I, I'm like, yeah, who's smoking? Who's smoking? But I, I don't have any smokers in my immediate life. So I probably am very in tune to that. I don't know. It's like no matter where you are, as soon as you smell that smoke, it's where, where's that coming from? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, here, one of our, our um, biggest um, target audience would be the youth. So what's, Jillian, what's one piece of advice that you would give to teens facing peer pressure? Because that's huge. What would you say? It is. Um, and I, I actually have a teenage daughter of my own and two bonus teenage daughters. So um, I tell them one of the easiest ways to answer someone who may be pressuring a teen to vape or smoke is to say, I'm all set, followed up by a reason that has been thought up uh, prior to the event. So um, think of something in advance and just have it at the ready. Um, some examples of reasons provided by youth who've been in similar situations include, um, I promised my little cousin I wouldn't smoke because his mom died of cancer. Um, addiction runs in my family and I'd rather not start. I'm an athlete and need all the air I can get. And probably one of the more, the funniest ones I've heard. Um, I like to make out and don't want someone thinking they're kissing an ashtray. <laughs> um, think of some reasons ahead of time, like I said, to have ready when approached or pressured. Um, why follow the crowd when you can lead the way? Research the truth about the tobacco industry's tactics and how they target specific populations, youth being their primary target. The tobacco industry sees youth as the next generation of nicotine addicts. Be smarter than they are. Be aware of what you are putting into your body, no matter what it is. Um, there's a ton of research and information out there. Once you've educated yourself on the truth about tobacco and nicotine, you can have informed discussions with your friends. 
maybe that will make them think more about it for themselves. Maybe they will decide to follow your lead and quit vaping or smoking altogether. I like the the addiction runs in my family, so I'd rather not start again. Just putting that highlight on nicotine being a drug, so I really like that one. How do you educate Rhode Islanders on prevention? Um, a lot of our prevention education efforts are through our community partnerships. Um, we work with our partners to build coalitions and we support and promote education through schools on how totally preventable tobacco use is. A great example of this is RITCP's partner, which Rhode Island Tobacco Control Program, otherwise known as RITCP. Um, our partnership with Tobacco Free Rhode Island, which we commonly refer to as TFRI. Um, TFRI does a lot of great prevention work in Rhode Island. Uh, just one of their initiatives includes working directly with youth through their Youth Ambassador Program, which I had um, mentioned earlier. Um, the Tobacco Free Rhode Island Youth Ambassadors is a youth coalition that works on peer-to-peer -peer education and advocacy efforts in the state. They attend various trainings to help them to prepare for peer-to-peer -peer education opportunities and participate in relationship building activities. Um, the youth ambassadors provide feedback from their perspective, which helps shape things from media designs to policy work we need to uh, focus on. Our youth are a great resource, and in recognizing that, we compensate them for their participation. Um, another example of RITCP's prevention education efforts is our current work with Rhode Island Student Services um, in South County Region to address tobacco-related disparities among LGBTQ plus youth and young adults within the South County community. Um, additional prevention education efforts include promotion of the tips from former smokers campaign, um, social media posts, sharing print media and resources, as well as our presence at local community events to hand out information and have discussions with uh, event attendees. Now, I know for me and a lot of people uh, in my circles that, you know, there's always triggers to starting something or, or like... The, the first of the year, I'm going to start to eat right or join a gym. And another would be like when I hear, you know, good information or if I hear something that sparks something that really triggers in my life, I need to start doing it. So I'm sure when people hear this podcast, they're going to start looking for what type of resources are available. So could you give us a few examples of uh, prevention resources that are available? Absolutely. Um, we have a wealth of printed resources available for youth, young adults, adults, parents, providers, and educators. Um, I previously mentioned the TFRI Youth Ambassadors. They are a phenomenal prevention resource and welcome youth and young adults between the ages of 12 to 21 to join. Um, my daughter, who is turning 16 uh, next week, actually, this is her first year, she's joined. Um, anyone interested can check out the Tobacco Free Rhode Island website to learn if the youth ambassadors would be a good fit for them. And again, youth ambassadors are compensated for their participation. It also looks great on college resumes. Um, the regional prevention coalitions are funded by the Department of Behavioral Health Care, Developmental Disabilities and Hospitals. They do phenomenal prevention work across the state. Uh, Rhode Island Student Assistance Services has Project Success, which consists of student assistance counselors within 67 middle and high schools. Nope, I'm wrong about that number. I think we're between 68 and 71 um, total middle and high schools um, that teach prevention education and provide guidance to students in need. Um, and they too are doing exceptional work in prevention. 
Uh, I know that they are discussing hiring um, more. Uh, they recently received funding to hire more. So I'm a little off on the number, but we're working on getting them across every middle and high school in the state. Awesome. That's the important part. That is the important part. Um, A variety of resources can be found on our website, the uh, Rhode Island Tobacco Control Program website, um, the CDC website, and the Office of Smoking and Health website, as well as the Surgeon General's website. Resources are always available on uh, the Quit Logics website and the My Life My Quit website. And uh, of course, I can be emailed directly, either myself or Julia. All right. you saying that your daughter's involved made me think um, if the people in prevention didn't have kids, I, I think we would be um, have many less youth involved. <laughs> I think all our kids get wrapped in and then they pull in their friends and I, it's, it's a good thing. But um, absolutely. I don't know too many prevention people that kids aren't aren't involved in uh, in what they're up to so yeah, choice volunteers right <laughs> word of mouth and, and you know hopefully she'll go out and pull in a few of her friends and then they'll go out and educate some more of their friends and right. yep absolutely <laughs> um julia we do a lot of evidence-based uh, strategies and approaches here um do you have some to help people quit smoking yeah absolutely Um, We are lucky that there's a lot of resources for thinking about effective treatments. Um, There's a lot of studies that have come out of like the Surgeon General's report, public health service, clinical guidelines, um, and more. So there's really two uh, of the main approaches are counseling support and medication. So kind of optimal treatment is a combination of a counseling intervention and um, pharmacotherapy or medication. Um, There's different um, ways to do that that appeal to different, you know, tobacco users. So um, individual needs and preferences need to be considered, but for counseling, um, there's brief interventions to more intensive interventions in person and groups over the telephone. Our state nicotine helpline is counseling um, individually that's available over the telephone um, and over um, live um, web chat as well. So there's definitely options and flexibility to meet people's needs. Um, and definitely, you know, the efficacy or the kind of like uh, result of the treatment improves um, the length of time in treatment. So the more sessions that you have with the counselor can help increase your success. Um, key strategies that are used in counseling are motivational interviewing. So help someone think about their reasons for wanting to change their internal motivations, um, and showing them, you know, how it fits into their goals for their life. And then cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a mix of thinking about beliefs, um, and behavior change and skill building. Um, so there are tobacco treatment specialists, physicians, respiratory therapists, nurses, dental care providers, social workers, they can all play a role in helping to deliver these interventions. Really, any provider you see um, should be checking in um, and asking, you know, are you using tobacco or nicotine and um, can we help support you um, in quitting? As far as medication, I think I mentioned earlier, there's seven different um, FDA-approved quit medications. So three types are over-the-counter and they might sound most familiar to people. They're the uh, nicotine replacement therapy, so patches, gum, or lozenges. 
Um, and then there's two types of prescription nicotine replacement therapy. Um, it's an inhaler or a nasal spray. Those are less common because um, they do require a prescription from your doctor. And then there's two oral medications that have, um, are really well studied. So that's um, varenicline, otherwise known as Chantix, you might, um, mm -hmm. or um, Bupropion, otherwise known as Wellbutrin. So those are two that require a, a provider uh, prescription, um, but are studied for helping to, uh, to quit tobacco. So the kind of duration and dosage of all, both of those medications really depends on your individual level of dependence and your health history. Um, but for some, for example, some folks have really great results using a mix of um, long acting patches in combination with a short acting gum or lozenge to help balance kind of those baseline withdrawals that we talked about with like a stronger craving or trigger. So for some people, um, for example, driving in their car might be a trigger. That's when they want to break out the, a cigarette or their vape. So that might be a great time to think about a short acting um, support for that craving. There are some considerations, even with the over-the-counter nicotine replacement therapy. So it's for ages 18 plus um, for people who are not pregnant or breastfeeding, um, and they should uh, never have been told by a provider not to take it because of a conflicting reason. So we do advise that you speak with a provider before beginning any treatment, um, even the over-the-counter, um, because you can get some good advice on how it could best work for you and any questions you may have. Um, and we really suggest that all providers should be practicing what we call AAR. So asking about use, advising someone to quit and referring to support. Um, and when I say provider, again, it could be any sort of provider, school counselor, anyone who's really um, interacting with a person on a regular basis about their physical or mental well-being. Um, it's a great place to just check in and see if support is needed. Um, and we do offer, as I mentioned, the free evidence-based program, the Rhode Island Nicotine Helpline for anyone who lives or studies in Rhode Island. Um, it's free counseling as well as free nicotine replacement therapy. So that's 1-800-QUIT-NOW or quitnowri.com. Now, will this work for vaping addiction as well? That's a great question. So all evidence-based programs should be tailored to their individual needs and what, whatever specific tobacco product they use, whether it's vaping um, or smoking or snuff, any of those, any uh, nicotine product. So for example, um, they'll do an individual intake and say kind of like, what products do you use? Is it vaping only or is it vaping in other products? Learning about your level of dependency, your triggers, any past quit attempts, and you know, why you're calling now, you mentioned earlier, like sometimes we see something that's a, that sparks us to get motivated. So why are you calling now to want to quit? Um, and then they'll build a plan for you based on whatever your, um, whatever products you use are. So that includes vaping. Because um, it's important to remember that the addictive component of both vaping and combustible cigarettes is the nicotine. So many of the same treatments um, exist for helping to um, handle those withdrawal symptoms and cravings. Um, and we know that vaping is more common in youth and young adults. Um, so there is an added layer for finding programs that are really tailored to youth needs. Um, and I think Jillian um, is able to talk a little more about kind of some of that treatment for a teen's life. Yeah, I'm curious what um, nicotine treatment looks like in a, in a teen's daily, um, daily activity. Yeah, um, there are a lot of resources and quit programs available to youth and young adults. For example, 
The My Life My Quit program is a free and confidential program that teens can use to receive coaching from a live certified tobacco treatment specialist. Um, teens can text, chat, or call, and an intake specialist will ask some questions to best connect them with an available coach. Um, coaches help teens to personalize a quit plan that works for them and will follow up with five live, co uh, live coaching sessions in addition to being available for help throughout their quit journey. Um, teens would receive support and encouraging text messages, uh, reminding them that they are not alone and are one step closer to reaching their goal. Wow, that is very important, especially that you are not alone. And today, I mean, it's all over the headlines, all over the news, mm -hmm. it's, it's real important. I was gonna say, I worked with a kid um, in a school that was doing the my quit my life is that what it's yeah and um it was it was interesting they would get um text messages and um it was um it seemed not lame as my kids are always concerned about things being lame it seemed not lame they um they were um responding and i don't want to say enjoying it but um but it was helpful and they were engaging with it and it had had their attention and um, was helpful. I just want to add the My Life My Quit program is the only quit program for teens where they are able to interact with a live tobacco mm -hmm. treatment specialist. Wow. Um, so it is pretty unique in that aspect. Yeah. That is great. Now, one of my biggest takeaways, I don't think it's going to be any surprise, is the, the use of nicotine in in the same realm as drugs so i it's one of my hugest takeaways from today so julia is is a nicotine relapse possible yeah it definitely is and and really frankly it's very normal so we want to kind of let people know that a relapse doesn't mean that it's a failure or shame, but think of it as part of your journey for recovery. So you learn something that you can bring with you from every quit attempt. So, you know, kind of what was a stumbling block last time, you know, you're more prepared. You can think of a new coping strategy. You learn more about yourself with every attempt. So honestly, most people who try a quit attempt relapse within a couple of days and 80% relapse within six months. So it's really common and it's it's hard to quit, but it's definitely not impossible. Um, it often takes multiple attempts for you to kind of have that sustained long-term rest of your life um, abstinence. So, um, you know, tr always try, try again and, and take what you've learned with you. And evidence-based programs should have some relapse prevention built in. So kind of some planning as part of their treatment plan of how to bounce back from a slip. So if you make a slip, doesn't mean that you need to start smoking again or vaping again daily. You can say, I'm identifying that as a slip. I'm going to pick myself up, start again. I don't have to wait till next month to start again. Right. Um, and then practicing those skills and problem solving. Um, and the good news though, is that three out of five adults in the U.S. who have ever smoked cigarettes have quit. So there is a good track record of people quitting long-term. It just takes some, um, some work for sure. And counseling and cessation together can double your chances of quitting for good. So uh, you don't have to go it alone, right? Talk to someone and try to get support and that can double your chances of quitting for good. And also social supports are really helpful for continued state sustain, um, 
social supports are very helpful for continued sustained quit. So um, Kirsten, I think talked about as far as risk for initiation, kind of what are your friends doing? Similarly for quitting, if you can quit in a group, if you have people who are coming together to say, we're gonna quit together, having those social supports and people going through it with you is really helpful. Um, so kind of like with everything, um, it's best not to go alone. Think about who you have to support you, let them know what you are struggling with um, and what your goals are. Great, great advice. Yeah, this has been um, eye-opening and a lot of good um, information. Kirsten, do you have maybe some resources you can share with us now in case anyone's interested in finding out more or getting help? Sure, sure. I do want to um, kind of loop back on some of the, re the um, resources that Jillian and Julia both shared and then yep. some additional ones that, um, you know, these are available for those that are trying to quit. They're also available for if you're trying to help someone um, you love or someone you know quit parents that are just concerned that their um, youth might possibly be using or have a potential to use or just general education if you want to learn more about sort of what we talked about today. Um, the first one is obviously the um, Rhode Island Department of Health's Tobacco Control Programs website. We are housed on the Rhode Island Department of Health's um, website, but if you go to www.health dot ri.gov backslash tobacco that's our specific site and um, we have tons of resources on there um, and the next one would probably be the quit line or the helpline information that um, julia shared which is the 1-800-QUIT-NOW um, that's also the quit now ri.com and then the my life my quit which is the the youth or the team focused one um, that's for 18 and under that jillian talked about um, it it, parents, educators, providers can visit the website um, for resources, and then the teens can visit to chat with that treatment specialist, and that's at um, mylifemyquit.com, or they can um, text START to 36072, um, or if they want to actually talk to someone, I don't know many teens that do, um, <laughs> they can pick up a phone and dial 855-891-9989. There is resources for for parents. Um, there is um, a group, Parents Against Vaping. It's um, and they have a website. It's parentsagainstvaping.org um, that parents can visit. And then finally, um, uh, Jillian talked about our community partner, Tobacco Free Rhode Island, and they do have a website that again has tons of information and more information about the Youth Ambassador Program, and that's at tobaccofree-ri.org. So I'm hoping today's podcast will be beneficial for many people. Um, and we really appreciated that you allowed us to um, have the opportunity to discuss um, such an important topic. Well, we thank you. Thank you. I'm sure this is going to be that spark, that starting point for, for a lot of people once they hear it. Yes, thank you so much um, to all of you for coming today and um, sharing all your knowledge with us. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, it was great. I'm Polly, and you've just listened to Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable. Totally Preventable.